2: and sportsman drag racers big jed we're a long way apart in distance but obviously we are connected we're unified sportsman drag racing podcast how are you my friend Luke, I'm well. I feel like
1: we're sitting in the same room. I feel like we're that close. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at you on your camera and you're you're way out there on the West Coast, and I'm way out here in Alabama, but we we're we're connected. We're we're literally six inches apart right here as I'm looking at you on screen. But nonetheless, man, I'm good. Everything's great. I'm looking forward to getting my racing started. You've been on a racing journey on the West Coast, uh doing uh doing Some good things and some that you would like back, but you're having a blast creating memories with the family. You got a big event coming up out there. I'm about to start my racing season next weekend down in Gulfport, Mississippi at the footbreak 150 uh, that Galen Rollison puts on. So, man, it's a really good time. I'm super excited and looking forward to this show. This show's got some great stuff in it, and I'm looking forward to chatting about sports and drag racing.
2: This is a great show. We've got a lot of good stuff to talk about, just as a as a as a brief prelude. Um, Brad Burton's a bad B. AJ Ash got all that money. And John LaBoose Jr. may or may not be holding two tents. All that and more. But first PJ
0: Nord. Jed,
2: last week on the show, we were NHRA heavy. Uh, given the, the results and the calendar, this week's show will be NHRA heavy. But there was one big bracket race on the schedule, and I think that's where we should lead off.
1: Yeah, look, um, the Top Bulb 150 put on by Galen Rollison. Um, and you know, if if we had the opportunity to cover all events all the time, we'd hear Galen's name a lot. This guy's very active in the promotion end and he puts on a lot of great events at Gulfport, along with what he does with the the great American brand with Rick Cummings. But Galen has his top bulb 150, pretty unique event that he does. He's about to have the the footbreak 150, <clears throat> excuse me. Um where he has an entry fee that you pay and he accepts 150 entries and each racer is doubled for a, for a 300 entry event. Um, the top bulb deal is at Gulfport as is the bottom bulb race in a couple of weeks, but, um, he had his top bulb version of that this past weekend. Good crowd down there. A lot of great racers started out. Friday with a a little out the gate ghost race that they do where you don't get any times or anything. And uh, Will Holloman collected that check, got off to a good start, had a gambler's race plan. But I think they had to move that to Saturday for whatever reason. Saturday's main event was a 30 K pretty cool deal there. And uh, that's a you know, that's a great event, especially down on the Gulf Coast in South Mississippi. Uh, that area gets a lot of great events courtesy of galen and in his efforts and his team that he has and shallon broussard young talent from down in that area got the win over jordan eaker so shallon with um the biggest uh, win that i know of for for his uh young career so good for shallon that was a great win 30k wins a big deal especially when you get that done in the month of march get your season off to an excellent start the Friday 3K Gambler, I think, happened after that, loop, <clears throat> And that was won by Kyle Rumley. Kyle got the win over Corey Gladwell. A couple of guys coming whoa, down from
2: whoa, whoa. G- Galen let Kyle Rumley on the premises.
1: Well, I think Kyle threatened to, <laughs> you know, hit a few things if he <laughs> if he didn't. No, actually they are they are good. They are real good. Uh, Kyle, Kyle did the right thing. Obviously, the the great American guaranteed million was not Kyle's best moment, but, um, he has, uh, he has repented and, uh, definitely he and Galen, uh, have a great relationship and Galen actually said, you know, come on down and race with us. I think he invited him down, which was a great move on his part. And uh, Kyle got the win. <laughs> they had a winter circle picture posted on the King of the Coast Facebook page. And, and Galen even joked that they put a cone out in front of the, the car for the picture. And Galen joked that no cones were harmed in the, in the picture, uh, the <laughs> taking of this picture. <laughs> so cool deal. Great, uh, great spirit by those guys. And uh, good to see Kyle get that win, at 3K gambler win. Again, got it over Corey Gladwell, which is look. a guy that, what's that?
2: No, I was just glad to to hear that the beef has been squashed and everyone can move on. That, that that I did see the picture. That's comical. Check that out if you haven't already.
1: Yeah, in a day and time where social media can turn things into maybe bigger deals than they are, that is good to see that those guys could squash it and move on. And uh, as I said, he got the win over Corey Gladwell, which is a guy from the north part of Mississippi where he and Kyle get together quite a bit at the Memphis facility. So. Those are buddies squaring up. That was a cool deal. Juniors was Aubrey Sutton. Aubrey um, got the win over Claire Russell. So an all-female final there in the junior category with Aubrey getting a big win. Good for Aubrey. She's a she's a young talent as well, and um, she is uh, she is the significant other to Casey Pesnell at the moment. So. Uh, she's getting some good teaching, and her dad Josh Sutton's a talented racer as well. So that makes sense that she's getting final rounds already in her young career. Sunday, Luke wrapped up with a fifteen k. So, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the fifteen k uh, Sunday edition is a, was a great race in itself, and uh, a familiar name from that part of the country, and any part of the country for that matter. In the Winter Circle is uh, AJ Ash. AJ took the Grand Slam. To the victory over Bad Brad Clark, Bad Brad from up in central Mississippi, a talented racer that a lot of people know and, and have seen racing quite a bit over the years. Uh, it was reported, Luke, that it was a no split final. Um, there's always speculation about those things in today's world, in a world where splits happen quite often, especially in a, you know, a. a Uh, elevated purse event where everybody's making sure they get their share and move on and especially on Sunday because there's big tabs to be paid and whatnot so those Sunday splits seem to get a little heavier. Well this one's reported no split and again always speculation about was there some animosity, was someone upset, hard to get along with. You know quite frankly I'm true and I have no knowledge no inside knowledge of this but I believe that it's just Brad Clark's kind of his uh, his calling card his what he's known for you know no no splits is something that he's uh, famous for especially in this part of the country and maybe he just kind of stuck to his roots and said no split and it didn't work out. I don't know the details but AJ was the victor there and worked out really well for him anytime you get uh, the the full. Uh, payday that's listed on the purse—that's always a really good thing. We'll, we'll go back to that. I'm sure you got some comments on that, Luke. Junior Dragster, real quick, was uh, wrapped up and won by Lane Lewis over Zach Pierce. But Luke, you know, we talk splits and and we talk a lot of stuff uh, this day and time about what happens with purses. But what's your take on that um is it a big deal? No big deal. What do you think?
2: Well, <clears throat> I think that your analysis is probably accurate. He he doesn't get the nickname No Split Brad for no reason, right? That's pretty common for Brad Clark. And as we've talked about before, like to each his own, right? Like there is no there's nothing in the rule book, written or unwritten, that says that we need to alter the advertised purse. It does typically happen. I'm not sure I could pull up the flyer for this event. My assumption it's it's $15,000 $15,000 to win and 3000 or less to runner-up. So typically those do get split up. Um, as, as much as I agree with you, Jed, I think that the story would be much juicier if I think AJ had the buy at three. And maybe they had come to him and said, AJ, do you want to split? And he's like, let's talk next round. And one of the other competitors said, well, if you don't split now, we ain't doing nothing. So be it. Like I like that story's <laughs> used here. I, I want to stick with that. I don't think that's the way it went down. Probably but it not. It sounds better. Yeah. It
1: does sound really good, and we definitely would would have some more discussion if that were the case. But I think it was simply <laughs> just a guy that don't typically split, and you know AJ knows Brad really well. I'm sure, and probably was not surprised if if he was the one asking, and Brad said no. So is what it is. And AJ walked away with a $15,000 payday, which is really good for, uh, you know, anybody. And especially this time of year to kind of pad your pocket a little bit. So cool deer, but all in all, just a really good event.
2: just pulled up the flyer, $2,500 to the runner up. So pretty big swing in the final, but no, to your point, uh, no surprise that AJ's in the winter circle. He was, was, I think he was uh, just outside of our top 25 that we did a couple of episodes ago. Uh, based on the vote of half a dozen or so industry insiders. So no surprise to see AJ grace the winner's circle. Um, I don't think, trying to remember just offhand, I don't think AJ was in a final of the SFG event at Bradenton, but he was close, like might've been close both days. So continues a a relatively hot start, not surprising obviously to the season for AJ Ash.
1: No, absolutely not. And it was all in all a really good event, uh, great, great event, especially for that area of the country, and really cool to see um, Galen again providing great racing for the area that that he lives in, and the racers that uh, are all along the coast and and from beyond. Of course, they travel from quite a distance at times. But Luke, as far as big buck bracket racing, that pretty much wraps it up. But there was a double divisional, which you told us about in our last episode that you were going to be participating in. And uh, you, you did uh, that at a very high level in the first day, uh, getting that super gas win in the first divisional of that double. But there were some standout performances out there, again, that you got to watch firsthand.
2: Yeah, so the uh, three NHRA divisional events on the weekend, two of which were the double in Phoenix, the other on the opposite side of the country, the baby Gators. That's the way they say it in Louisiana, at least. um Leading up to the the Gator Nationals. I don't think I did a good job on that. The baby Gators. Gators. Yeah, that um, wasn't I your best.
0: Um, <laughs> but you know, done. it was good. Gators. Okay.
1: Well, you got to put a you got to put a little gravel in your voice. Gator.
2: Yeah, that was good. That was much better. Thanks. We'll start in Phoenix, um, just because I was there. So. I like the, the word that I'm looking for, like the play on words of this. My takeaway from Phoenix, Brad Burton is a bad B. b. That's a lot of B. So let's just back up a little bit. It was just a week ago, we were singing the praises of one Leo Glassbrenner. And Leo Glassbrenner has had an amazing start to the season. He won the NHRA Winter Nationals. A week later, he won the NHRA Arizona Nationals, undefeated and stock eliminated. In the semifinals of the Arizona Nationals, Theo Glassbrenner turned on the wind light opposite Brad Burton. Now, one week later, Theo Glassbrenner is no longer the favorite to win the World
1: Championship. <laughs> it's it's no longer over.
2: <laughs> no, it's, it's not, it is not over. Theo <laughs> has been to four races now. He obviously won two of them. Brad Burton has been to three races and has more points. Through those three, then Leo Glassbrenner has through four. You ask, how's that possible, Luke? Well, I just told you that Brad Burton lost in the semifinals of the national event. He did not go to Pomona, so his first race of the year he lost in the semifinals at Phoenix. He backs that up by winning the first leg of the double divisional. And he was just getting started. He comes back Sunday and wins the second leg of the double divisional. So if you're keeping score at home, that is a semifinal, followed by a win, followed by a win. I believe Brad Burton's on track record in stock eliminator in 2022 is at 19 and 1. Pretty sporty for the former two time <sighs> NHRA national champion, obviously putting himself in good early position to score national championship number three. The round that stood out above all else. Final round race one. And I guess this is to be expected. You've got Brad Burton. You've got Ryan Mangus, right? It doesn't get much better than that in stock eliminator. Or Mangus. Ryan Mangus is That's brutal. seven take four. The final round of a quarter mile stock eliminator race. Seven take four. Brad Burton says, nope, no good. Brad Burton, nine total. Five dead four. And if that weren't enough, The same duo match up in round three of race number two. In that race, Ryan Mangus leaves the starting line 15 and is mathematically ineligible. Brad Burton, 11, dead three. So in two head-to-head matchups with Ryan Mangus, Brad Burton lays down nine total and 14 total. Off the bottom, on the long track. I think those two get along. I think it's fair to say. Brad Burton not on Ryan Mangus's Christmas card list he's out
1: that's nasty dude Luke, gets ridiculous. it really is I mean when, when you're throwing those kind of runs at a guy and he's getting inside of him, but you know it, it's funny how Brad Burton just rises to the occasion. He's a very good racer, Brad is very talented, son of Scott Burton, which has been a, a standout and stock eliminator for literally decades now and Brad you know posts 46 32 21 31 32 26 guy's got a spot he's got a spot he's hitting and it's a good spot but it's not like one you can't beat type of spot gets to the final round he knows he's racing one of the best in the game and he lays down nine total and you know he was hitting that good 25 to to 40 spot And then he just probably, you know, he might have chipped it up a cup of hunt or he might have just got after or whatever he did. You know, Mangus the same way, hitting a spot, not quite as good as Brad knows. He's running a bad dude steps up. That's a gamer seven, take four. That's a winning lap. Comes up short, bad break. (laughs) Then you come back over to the next time they square up. Brad's 42 and 42. In his previous runs, hitting that same spot, you know, got her chipped down, just safe, knows he can run the dial in and drive the other in, and then lays, goes 11 dead, 3, 14 total against Mangus, Mangus same ways 30 and 41, steps up against Brad is 15, so you know, I, I say that not to not to say anything about their previous runs. Those guys knew where they were on the tree and they were hitting that spot. But it's cool to me that you got two talented guys like that. And when they know they need to step it up, they're capable of getting that extra 20 to 30 thou off the, the bottom bulb and, and making themselves a little more difficult to beat. And that's exactly what both of them did. Unfortunately for Mangus it worked out better for Brad Burton both times. So talented guys, that's cool stuff.
2: So Brad Burton goes back to back, sweeps the division seven double header opener. Now we talked last week about uh, a couple of racers that swept the first two national events. Obviously we just discussed Leo Glassbrenner who won stock eliminator, both at Pomona and Phoenix, as well as Don Mazir, who won top sportsman at both events. Interesting note, uh, this comes courtesy of Alan Reinhardt in regards to that opening two national events sweep. According to Mr. Reinhardt, the last time that three racers won both opening national events was in 1997. Those three racers at that time, Gary Selzy, John Force, Frank Manzo, they all went on to win the championship that year. Fast forward to this season, again, three racers Leo Glassbrenner, Don Mazier, Robert Height nitro funny car accomplished the same feat so no pressure guys <laughs> but this is obviously setting a pretty strong precedent uh and perhaps that is unique because in 1997 well manzo was winning everything right that was kind of a foregone conclusion then Celsian enforced like professional categories win two national events before the countdown that's going to be a a difficult lead to to surmount, right? Particularly with those two guys on top. I don't know that winning two sportsman national events in twenty twenty two necessarily has the same effect. And we've already seen how quickly the tides can turn in stock eliminator. Right now, if you're placing odds, Brad Burton's uh, favored over Leo Glassbrenner, I think Mazir is still in really good shape. Interesting note on Mazir in Phoenix. And I should know more details on this because I could have I could have thrown a, uh, a baseball from my pit area and, and hit Don Mazir's car. I didn't even realize until I was looking at the results. He lost second round of the first division race and lost on a double breakout. So there wasn't any like obvious or didn't blow up on the racetrack, but he did not make ra- race two. So I don't know if there was something wrong or if he had a prior commitment. Um, but obviously Mazir two national event wins strong, uh, but didn't really help us cause this weekend. A lot of season left but um, be interesting to see how he's able to capitalize on that going forward. Yeah. got off to a great start,
1: obviously uh, going out second round, that first leg of, the, of the, the divisional, the double divisional there was obviously not in the plans, but certainly hope that there were no uh, parts failures or issues that caused him not to make that second one. Maybe it was just a scheduling thing and he had to go, but still Don uh, in, in great shape and uh, hopefully he, keeps the the wind lights turning on. I'd like to see him be part of the mix when it all comes down to the the final couple of races. see who the champion's going to be.
2: Yeah, he's definitely an easy guy to uh, to root for. Another hot racer, another big name starting the season, uh, Supercomp racer Jim Glenn out of Division six. If you'll remember last week's episode. Mr. Glenn won the winter nationals and then came to Phoenix, was runner-up at the Arizona Nationals. He just kept turning on win lights. So in the first divisional event, he advanced to the quarterfinals. Uh, I think he did lose early in the second race, but racking up a ton of points in what is typically a very competitive uh parody-driven class in Supercomp. Uh so he's put himself in great position. I thought it was worth noting too that when his win light finally did not come on in the quarterfinals of race one. Um, it was not late, but it was after dark, um, in Phoenix and it wasn't that cold. It wasn't that windy. Um, but conditions kind of conspired and, and there was a, he was one of several cars that could not get down the racetrack. Uh, in fact, the round that he lost, there was six cars left in super comp, um, in each pair, the super comp dragsters now, like these are not typically difficult cars to get from A to B. Um, But in each pair, uh, the left lane car had to lift, had to abort the run. Jim Glenn being one of those. And obviously Jim Glenn's car to that point um, this season had been um, flawless. So the super gas cars had problems. um, And I think this is just, I guess this is speculation, but it is obviously based in in personal experience. The, The racetrack, their wild horse pass motorsports park great facility um but the left lane particularly has a couple of of whoop de doos a couple of bumps that i don't think like running wide open would create or did create much problem because like sports sportsman top direction to went down fine i think those bumps are in the worst possible spot for a, a 90 car because it is looking at my graph like on the drive shaft graph it is uh, like 450 500 feet which especially for super gas cars is just after the higher powered cars kick off the stop, kick back wide open. So you're, you're, you're planting the suspension, going over the bumps, like similar for super comp, usually super comp cars are kicking off a little bit earlier. That's my only explanation. Cause it seemed like that area where all of these cars were, were getting upset and it wasn't everyone. Like I, I was able to, to stay in the right lane until the final. I lost the, the coin flip with Mike Vayner in the final. He put me in the left, and I thought, boy, I don't know what I'm getting into. I went down just fine. Meanwhile, Boehner couldn't get down the right line. So obviously there's a little bit more to it than that. It was just kind of unique, almost somewhat bizarre, because it's something that you just don't see very often. And when you do, it's usually 40 degrees or 40-mile-an-hour or wind, and that wasn't really the case. So it was odd and worth noting because it obviously had – it impacted the outcome of the event and you never want track conditions or, or an issue like that to impact the outcome of the event. And maybe this is typically the case, but it seemed very sporadic. Like it didn't impact every car, every run. Um, but it certainly played, played a role in the outcome of that event.
1: Yeah. Luke, uh, I know talking off air, you talked about the, the final round and, and how you got put in the, the, you know, the perceived bad- Lane or worst of the two, not necessarily bad lane, but uh, and you got down just fine. It's obvious that your buggy, your your Charlie Stewart uh, C7 Corvette, is uh, is uh, extraordinary. Um, I watched you at the Great American Guaranteed Million on a a cold racetrack, a good one, but a cold one. And there were cars that had an issue or two there due to the temperatures and the the uh, dew that was had fallen, but. You were going straight down through there every time, going 480s and made it look easy at times. Obviously, you you get on a racetrack where there's some struggles, and you continue to, to go down the track. So, I think you got your you mean, mean hot rod there. That's good stuff. I'm, I'm happy for you. And, uh, obviously, it worked out well. You got your super gas win there in the first leg of that double divisional over a, a really tough racer in Mike Boehner. Um, obviously you said Mike had some, some challenges, getting down the racetrack, but he is uh, one of the better racers in super gas. So that was a good win for you. And, and really, uh, kind of, you know, made it worth going out there for getting you an early win in the season and, uh, continuing to chase those points and chase after that championship. But it's, it's like you said, and you've even got listed in the show notes that the track condition issues were bizarre, typically when you have some challenges like that it's you know it's expected because you you feel the air you you're in you you feel the the temperature you feel the the you know you see the dew laying on the cars and it's typically going to be a cool night and some challenging track conditions as a result but you know you say the weather was good and maybe just there's a certain amount of cars that were right in that wrong spot and that transition or the the bumps and coming off the stop in that wrong spot was causing trouble but either way no matter what caused it definitely hate to see the outcome impacted by those types of things and uh, i'm sure the folks out there in phoenix are, are uh, making notes and hopefully going to be able to get those things corrected
2: yeah like i don't um I don't want to make the show about me and and my racing, but you brought up a really good point Jed. like it did feel like same song, different verse. Like we just went through this at the, at the great American guaranteed million where a buggy is just going down the racetrack and nothing else seemingly will. And, and that's even what I, I told my wife Jess before the final I said, well, you put me in the bad lane, but, this thing's never made a bad run, so until it does, like I'm gonna trust that I can go down a racetrack and trust that you know I got good enough sense to to quit if it won't. But it never wavered. It's just if, uh, yeah, you said it. You, I think you put it perfectly, Big Jed. Earlier, I said Brad, Bit- Brad Burton a bad bee. I got a bad buggy. There's a lot of bees, <laughs> but I got one.
1: You do have a bad buggy and <clears throat> excuse me, as you, as you said, you don't want to make the show about you and your racing, but I think if the, the reigning, uh, super gas world champion or national champion was, uh, in that double divisional and got a win in super gas, I think we'd be talking about them regardless of whose name that is. So, uh, well-deserved, well, my friend, really, really good for let's, you.
2: Let's flip it for the for the purposes of, uh, of Wild Horse Pass and, and, and Detroit Division 7, mm-hmm. if I'm in that final as the reigning national champion and I can't go down the track, it's probably a, an even bigger story, right? Yeah, which is probably, yes. Is. Which is silly because I'm trying to go 990 at like 175. I mean, if anything, in theory, you shouldn't get down the track, it's me. But I think <laughs> that's the way that that would be perceived,
1: you know? I agree. Well said. Um.
2: Another double up uh, in addition to, to, I guess, Brad Burton's not the only bad B. Joe Mozaris took both legs of the uh, Division Seven opener in competition eliminator. Mm -hmm. One race one over Randy Jones, race two over Cody Lane. Those are two big names in comp. Comp was not a huge field. It was a three-round race. I think there was a full eight cars. Um, But obviously, just given the names that I just mentioned, it's a strong field. And for Mozaris to continue basically the run that he was on all of last season, I believe he was a semi-finalist at Pomona. Um, so again, very early in the season, but win two races, semi the third, you're in really good position in terms of, of national points-wise, and that's where Jim Mozares sits today. Osiris doubled, Burton doubled, Dan Bain nearly pulled the same trick. Dan Bain won Super Street at the opener, um, lost in the final round of Super Street in the nightcap, and. If you case you're wondering, all it takes all it took to beat Dan Bain in Phoenix 004 ninety with a six. and total is what Richard Larson laid down in the final round. Richard Larson, Trevor Larson's father, hopped in the super streetcar, uh, laid down ten total. Finally, someone stopped Dan Bain after what uh eleven consecutive win lights for Bain. Bain, by the way. Um, you know, he he was fell victim to ten total in the final. If he made the run he made in the semis again, Richard Barson not would not have been happy. Dan Bain eight total in the semis leading into the final, gets the win, where in the final he gets ten total laid on him. Uh other couple other quick notes from Phoenix. Larry McClanahan, who we talked about last week, was runner up in the national event in Superstock. He came back in race two uh to win superstock. So another um, racer off to a great start And putting together a lot of points That's Larry McClanahan in Superstock Thought it was worth noting as well Let, let me save Harem for last I'll go George Scott He was a Super Supergas winner in the second event And the box score really stood out to me Like nothing just unreal But unbelievably solid throughout George Scott was 22 on the tree once Everything else Everything between 11 and 22 on the tree And what was really impressive was BT numbers in the final. Um, Petey both uh blew up, I believe, broke, so so George Scott got to lift. But the six runs leading up to that, George Scott never went faster than 90. He went 90 with a zero, pegged it in round four, never went slower than nine ninety-one six. Ninety or ninety-one for six consecutive rounds, not an easy thing to do. Couple that with really solid reaction times throughout. And, uh, George Scott was laying down really good runs. So the division six runner, um, gets the win there in Phoenix, The other super category, this is definitely worth noting because it was just over two years ago at the national event in Phoenix, Arizona, that really the whole sportsman racing community got a tremendous scare. Um, when Ryan Haram crashed his super gas road, a kind of a, historic super gas roadster was always one of the fastest cars in the class belonged to Craig Anderson prior to harem harem won Indy in that car driving for Craig and then ultimately bought her himself. Um, finish line accident, brutal accident basically went cage first into the wall. Harem was in the hospital for several weeks. Um, suffered tremendous injuries. Obviously he's been able to come back from that. He's just getting back to racing return to the the scene of the accident and i'm not going to say that he got his retribution on wild horse pass motorsports park by any means but he did win Supercomp in the second leg of the divisional and just given that history it's just the, the, the two weeks there where his first return to the facility that win had to be pretty special for Ryan here
1: yeah there's no doubt it had to be special luke i mean that um that did some serious damage obviously to his equipment it that it ruined it but it did serious damage to his body and you know he as you mentioned he spent several weeks in the hospital and i mean some really challenging conditions and a long recovery process. Boom. You know, it it would make anyone question, do I ever want to get back in the car again? And then it would certainly make anyone question, do I ever want to get back in the car where this happened again? And for him to come back and basically getting started again and go to that facility and do what he did and get a win, that's a that is a a wonderful feel good story and just really happy for, for high gear. Um, One of the most well-liked guys in the pits all across the country and, uh, and certainly a guy that I'm sure many, many, many were pulling for. So good for you, high gear. Congrats, man. That's awesome story.
2: I'll say this, like park basically shared a pit area with, uh, with harem for the past two weeks. And yes, one of the, the, most likable like enjoyable people to be around and talk to at the racetrack but he blew me away dead like i don't know how he finds time to focus at all on his racing program because he takes care of everyone in the pits like i'm t- i don't think there was anyone that had a problem that harem wasn't there lending a hand uh offering a, a, a part it just it seemed that every time that i turned around someone was coming by thanking him for his help and he's racing two cars and winning like that's the little bit that i've been around him like that's who harem is and again like to to see him recover from this because not only did he have the lengthy hospital stay like extended physical therapy like i don't i believe it was over a year before he got back into a race car at all and just toward the end of last year that he got back into nhra competition um, to see him get that win at that facility is yeah it's pretty pretty special stuff
1: Yep, no doubt about it, and, and I'll wrap up by going back to George Scott, Luke. You talked about his 16,000th window from his fastest winning time to his slowest. Pretty incredible, especially considering one was a 90 flat, and his worst was a 91 with a 6. That's a heck of a window over, what, eight runs, and, and including qualifying, and he had an 11,000th window on the tree. So, I mean, this guy had his run just dialed in, start to finish every round, and earned that victory. So, great job, of of course, excluding the final where he got to let out, but he was still 12 on the tree there. Uh, His his best light being 11, his worst being a 22 over that amount of runs. Really incredible performance there by George Scott. So, uh, just wanted to mention how tight those windows were on both the tree and the, the ET. It was cool stuff.
2: Quick note on the the runner-up to uh, I mentioned P.D. Booth. P.D. was a uh, runner-up in Pomona as well, and the West Coasters definitely are familiar with the name, like P.D. and his and his good friend Gary McNaka are legends in in super gas competition, and obviously both still do it at a really high level. We're within a round of running one another in the final. McNaka lost to George Scott in the quarterfinals. Um, so, Petey putting together a, a, another tremendous start to the season. Obviously, he's going to have to get that motor fixed up. It did blow up in the final. But just as a as kind of a side note, again, those if you know, you know. But those two, Petey and Gary, are like drag racing's version of Abbott and Costello. Like it is absolutely insane. The the. I want to call it an act, but it's not an act. Like those two are the funniest two guys at the racetrack, and don't. It doesn't seem like the serious face ever comes on. Obviously, it does when they put on the helmet because they're both very, very good. Still, you know, and and I would think, say right, they're in their sixties, but just as as a little, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, about the time, yeah, about the time that this this um, episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast hits, um, within a few days, the the latest. Um, episode of the vlog that i've been doing for mojo engineering check it out on the on the Mosier engineering youtube channel it features a presentation from pd and gary a new product that they have developed and let me just say that you have to see this to believe it i, I, I can't go anywhere else with this but it's epic and you're gonna want to check that out so that was a free plug it definitely pique not my really interest not for me. It's definitely <laughs> not as much for me as it is for Petey and Gary. It, it will be worth your time. Uh, I'll see. We'll we'll link. Maybe Mark. Maybe maybe we can make a note. We can link to that on the Sportsman Drag Racing Facebook page in case you can't find it on YouTube. um It's like three minutes that that will. It, it will be worth your time.
0: Yeah, you. Like I, I, so I said, so you it, definitely piqued my interest.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to be so uh, so so vague and, uh,
0: and 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 odd
2: with that presentation, but I, I feel like anything else would either make you not interested in seeing it or um, completely spoil it, and I don't want to do either. So check it out. Uh, <laughs> let's go to the other coast. Uh, another NHRA Lucas Oil Series event. This one, the second race in Division Two, the Baby Gators. Better. Uh mm, <sighs> Anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, I want you to put some gravel in there, man. The Gators.
2: See, I can't hold a candle to that. I'll just let you say it next okay. time. Okay, good enough. We'll start with anyway. Top Dragster. Jeremy Hancock, who won the Division Two opener in South Georgia, he did it again. He won Top Dragster once again at Gainesville, this time defeated Robert May in the final. Jeremy Hancock undefeated in NHRA Top Dragster competition in 2022, obviously the odds on favorite to win the division two title. And at this point, um, a serious threat in national points, Chase, Jeremy's running is his quote unquote bracket car. He has dialed, I think high sixes or seven flat in Gainesville. So that's not your traditional top dragster car. I don't know that that car could necessarily make the field in that part of the country on the national event level. Um, it tends to get a little bit carried away, but who knows, I don't know. I know Jeremy's got a lot of connections. If he wants to pursue this, I have no doubt that someone would put him in a, a super fast car if he wanted to go chase a national championship. I don't know that that's on his radar. Jeremy's always seemed really content to just kind of dominate on a relatively local level. Um, but two division race wins in two attempts. Uh, if there's ever an opportunity to go chase a national championship, this would be the year.
1: Yeah, no doubt, Luke. Uh, Jeremy's my dog. He, he's been my pick a couple of times in some, some of these big bracket races. He did receive the, the most worstest, baddest beat in 2021 with a two-pack <laughs> at the OG Million for the L to a one-pack. Uh, brutal, brutal bad beat. And then my Alabama Crimson Tide destroyed his Georgia Bulldogs in the SEC Championship game. Shortly behind that, but then it all started turning around for for my man Hancock. His bulldogs destroyed <laughs> my tide. <laughs> yeah, started on the football field. Uh, his his bulldogs destroyed my tide in the national championship game. Beat us like rented mules, and then he is going on a tear and uh, and getting these win lights in top dragster. So really excited for Jeremy Hancock, one of the really good guys in the sport. And his father's just an awesome gentleman. His whole family's good people. So happy for my man Jeremy Hancock. And uh, I definitely agree with uh, your thoughts that if uh, if he does want to pursue some events that uh, maybe his car is not uh, equipped to qualify at, uh, he'll he'll get all the offers he needs. Hey, there's no doubt in my mind. Uh, Anthony Bertozzi's probably got some stuff just laying around. He could throw him in and go you know 621 or 614 or whatever he needs to run so
0: it'll <laughs> be all good
1: whatever you need to do Hancock <laughs> you just let me know bud we'll get you some help
2: A little throwback story just because you brought up Anthony so years ago I uh I go to an HRA national event in Virginia Richmond Anthony's hometown and my plan is to Stay in that area and the next week go to Rockingham for what then was the, well, they still do it, the IHRA World Championship runoff. So it might have been the first year that they did that. This is a while back. And I'm in the, the championship runoff in Quick Rod, you know, 890. So that's kind of my focus. And in a time trial at Virginia, I break a lifter in my dragster. And I remember to this day, Billy Lieber and I trying, at the intake manifold off, trying to get the lifter out of the lifter bore. With um, pry bars and hammers and all manner of things that we cannot get it through there, right? Like it's not coming out. So I, we finally give up. And I don't know Anthony that well at this point. Again, this is over a decade ago. And I don't have a pot to piss in. A spare motor is the farthest thing from my radar, right? Like I, I'm done. I thought, well, Anthony lives here. Like maybe he'd have something, you know? Anyway, maybe, maybe we could broker some type of deal that would be mutually beneficial, is what I'm thinking. I'll walk over to anthony's trailer, introduce myself, said listen, man, I know you're from around here like I, I don't know if you'd be interested, so I'll work out whatever kind of deal you want to work out but i it, i I broke a motor and I need to put a motor in like I'd like to run here in Rockingham, and I'll rent it or I'll give you a percentage of what a win like if you got anything you know i I would really be willing now, I can't even get the words out of my mouth, and he goes cool hands and he kicks open the cabinet beneath his bench in his trailer and points he goes you want a big block or you want a small block and i looked under there and he's got a 632 full fogger on the intake and he's got a complete carbon <laughs> pan super stock motor and i thought hey b i'll try the big one
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we played that out put
2: it in my draft for two weeks anthony to the rescue so that that's one that i'll never forget <laughs> what a guy how could you not love that guy He's awesome. He is awesome. Um, All right, so we talked about Jeremy Hancock uh, doing the double, uh, running the table at the first two Division II events. John LaBoose Jr. nearly does the same thing. We talked about it a week ago. He was runner-up at uh, South Georgia in Supergas on a bad beat final. I think uh, if if memory serves, uh, Caboose was eight-take-four in that final to come up short to Nicole Stevenson. This time around, not only did he win Supergas at Gainesville, He was the one handing out the bad beats. Opposite him, former two-time NHRA Super Gas National Champion Sherman Adcock. How about Sherman lays down nine-take-one? No good. (laughs) Not even close. (laughs) 001, 2,000 under. Um, Yeah, pretty nice lap down the boost, Jr. Uh, At this point, I believe that runs up his 2022 uh, round win record to 12-1. and Pretty good start as he heads to the Gator Nationals. As if that wasn't enough to boost deep as well in Super Comp. Believe he I believe he lost in the quarterfinal round um, to Trinay. You, you know this better than I do, Big Jet. I screw this up every time.
1: Uh, Trisoni?
2: Yes, there you go. Glad yeah. you said it. <laughs> Trené goes on to win in an all Larice Motorsports Insurance final round. Uh, All-family final round, that's Trené, over Holden Larice. They are stepbrothers or half-brothers, something like that. They're
1: related, right? Yeah, it's a pretty cool deal there for the Larice group. But, Luke Laboose, I mean, it's just year after year. This guy hits these hot streaks, and, you know, he, he gets off to fast starts, and he has once again. And I'm looking at his box score. You know, 19 was his worst bulb. That was round one, aside from a bye run in E6, where he just, you know, obviously rolled off the starting line and got out of the way. But, you know, he is driving well, uh, obviously, in great equipment. But, you know, something I found interesting looking at his box score, it's a 990 index, right? So and we're
2: gonna the same thing just jumped out to me as you're saying this. Let's go. Okay, yeah. so
1: so in round number three, I don't know if his opponent went red. I would have to look that up. Obviously, I'm feeling like they had to have gone red. He goes double oh two That's on the function. tree and and he goes nine seventy-two on the nine ninety. It's no way you set up nine seventy-two. Luke, what, what happens there? You just kick it off the stop a little early with the with the override, or what what do you do there? What what causes you to go nine seventy-two?
2: I have no um, inside information here whatsoever. I will, I will, uh, com- this is complete speculation. I will say one of two things happened and I have no idea which. The first option is that for whatever reason, Little John had no idea what he could go. Maybe the car wasn't good. Maybe he broke something. Maybe he changed something and just said, All right, this number here I know is under his opponent went red and cool. I can get a time run and it just rings up nine seventy two. Like the whole plan there was B double O, which he was take double O, which he probably would have had his opponent been green. Right. Exactly. That's <laughs> one. Very positive. I'd
0: say this is like,
2: I'll say 70, 30, 70%. That's what happened. The other 30, maybe there's three options. Okay. So I'll give 25% to this there. It has become a theme in superclass racing. There, there could have been some chicanery involved here. It has become a theme, and this is not something new. This is something that Nick Folk and Dan Northrup started 20 years ago. But you know how in bracket racing, we we have a bump down in case we miss the tree? Well, most delay boxes are equipped with a throttle stop bump down. If you miss the tree, if the car spins, whatever, like you can bump some time out of the timer. And just like a bump down, the more you hit it, the more time you bump out. Well... Just from a chicanery standpoint, again, um, it has become a bit of a theme where if your opponent goes red, let's see how many times we can hit that pump down.
0: So perhaps that's
2: what happened. Perhaps John Laboose turned a 984 into a 972, right? But that's I'll give 25% to that, and then I'll give 5% to, like, an air bleed stuck or something crazy happened, and he just went a tenth and a half quicker than he thought he would, which not common especially for the level of equipment that little john's driving but possible one of those three
1: (laughs) was rather interesting it's an interesting box score killing the tree but we just talked about george scott and how he he went from 990 with a zero to 991 with a six over the entire race and caboose (laughs) went anything from a 972 to a 1083 (laughs) So, and then, I mean, really, yeah. really never really just got all over 990, except for the the final round where he missed it a couple of thousand. So,
2: uh, pretty be, pretty on. interesting I gotta, stuff. I got to backtrack on my percentages here. So, give me 65 percent. Something's wrong that round. I'll stick with 25 percent. Canary throttle stop bump down. I'll stick with five percent. Or just sped up a, a year. Give me another five percent, just because. Not, and I, I want to say just because this is John Labouche, but that's not a fair statement because Caboose usually races in a very disciplined manner, right? Like obviously unbelievably talented, but, but not typically going to throw caution to the wind and, and just hold a year, right? But I'll give 5% to because I know he has the skill set to do it. I'll give 5% chance that little John just woke up Sunday morning and said, you know what? F it. I'm going 970 and was just going 970 every run he
1: could win like that, too. <laughs> uh, I said he went from, from 972 to 1083. It was 1883. My apologies. So yeah, give him credit. It us a
2: good nine-second swing. Here. He had
1: a nine-second window there. <laughs> so, but the Caboose makes it work. And, uh, you know, again, off to a really good start there. So, good job to him. I did see where his daughter posted. Congratulations, Dad. And enjoy your time at Disney World between the baby Gators and uh, and the Gator gnats. So, good to be Caboose right now
2: a good gig if you can get it uh other notes from uh gainesville tim barrett turned on on the final win light and stock eliminator tim barrett also turned the hat trick uh this is a big thing if you're a class eliminator racer tim barrett not only won the event was low qualifier and this is one of the uh the few divisional events that has class eliminations tim barrett won his class so that you can't do any more than that top top in stock eliminator
0: qualifies That's on poll,
2: wins class eliminations wins the eliminator good on tim barrett yeah those racers typically don't the the,
1: well, the ones that go to the pole and win class and all that they're typically not your most serious on the bracket mm. portion of that uh, that style of racing so uh tim barrett obviously showed the the ability to prepare his hot rod to be really fast in the in the category that it competes in and then uh, obviously drove it well as well so a uh, nice combination there for tim barrett a, a rare
2: A rare hat trick, as you mentioned. Yeah, I got the final round win over former national champion Randy Wilkes. Another, um, I'll say this is a hat trick as well, competition eliminator David Billingsley, who last year made a deep run at the national championship, has the number two on the side of his beautiful Camaro this season, Uh, had a huge comp field in Gainesville's five-round race. Billingsley qualified number two way under like 70 under the index obviously wins the race defeated Greg Camplain in the final and in the process of doing so took no permanent index. I believe again, it's complicated eliminator. I'm not going to claim to be super up on it, but I think unless it was a mind chapter race, it may have been a mind chapter race. I think you got to go 61 under to take permanent. And he went like 60 under with a six, the one really tough round that he had went over David Eaton, like third round. So in competition eliminator terms, that's almost as good as it gets, right? Qualify number two, you're stupid fast, you win the race, and you don't take any permanent index that would affect you going into the next race. So, David Billingsley's—I don't know if you want to call it the defense of number two or the pursuit of lowering that thing by one digit—as he as he goes on to uh, to chase down the world championship here in 2022, regardless, couldn't get off to a better start.
1: A really good start and protecting the index in that category as I mentioned in the last show is a very 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 important thing not only for the the racer that's competing but when you make the when you hit the CIC and you make them adjust the CIC they adjust it for everybody that runs your category so you know it's kind of a gentleman's no no offense to any of the ladies in categories but it's kind of a gentleman's agreement you know that we all protect that and we try to do the right thing and uh, and for him to get that close and get it done uh, was a was a really cool story and uh, certainly one that I'm sure when he got that final ticket and looked at the, the negative 606 that uh, he was very, very happy that he was able to protect the index for him and his competitors because I don't, I don't know much about Comp Luke, but I don't think those guys uh, like when you, uh, when you bang their, their index for them and, and make it a little bit tougher for them to compete. So I'm not sure how they get after one another out there but uh, or in that category, but I'm sure that there's some non pleasant conversations if you get out there and go wild and, and beat the index up.
2: Without question, I mean, there's obviously a financial gain to, uh, to winning races, but uh, if it comes at the cost of permanent index for you and the other racers that run your class, um, that's a pretty typically monumental financial loss. <laughs> like, I don't know what it costs to pick up three hundredths of a second in Competition Eliminator, but I can gather that it's not cheap. <laughs> no, I bet it isn't. Uh, So isn't. We've got some big stuff on the horizon. I, I do want to do a little bit of a, of a preview before we turn loose, but Jed, there was one other story away from the big dollar scene, away from the NHRA Lucas Oil Series that, that caught our attention this week. You added this to the show notes, and it's an awesome story, so I'm going to let you tell it.
1: Yeah, look, very cool story, and uh, and you know one that I, I read and immediately reached out to the racer to to tell him, hey man, really cool stuff. Congrats, and uh, this is something that'll that'll stay with you forever. You and your family, uh, Stephen Hughes, which uh, former roommate of yours, ironically, uh, you guys <laughs> uh, lived in Alabama together. As crazy as that sounds, but that was good stuff. Uh, good good time in your life, and um, <clears throat> driveway uh, mate of mine. Like <laughs> yeah, the, yes, the, shoe,
2: the shoe stayed in his trailer in my driveway for about a year. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it was good stuff. Uh he competes. He he lives in the Houston area. He competes at uh at Houston Raceway Park. Uh I don't know the name of it anymore, maybe Royal Purple or maybe that's old days or whatever. But Houston Raceway, it's you know, their bracket racing is coming to an end. Actually, it did come to an end this weekend. This was the final bracket race ever at the facility as uh, they are no longer going to compete uh, drag racing there. Um, Stephen Hughes won the, the final bracket race there, which his family has raced there for quite some time. So that's a really cool story in itself. You win the, the closing event at the facility. You shut the doors on the place with you holding the trophy. Good stuff. Stephen not only won he won in the same family mopar that his father won the first ever bracket race at Houston Raceway Park in 1988, Luke. So you're, you're obviously talking 34 years apart. And, and they went in the same car at the same facility. Father won the first race, Shoe wins the, the last race. What an incredible! incredible day at the racetrack that had to be for for him and his family I mean that that's uh that's just you know the fact that you won both of you won those races but you went in the same car you know they they rebuilt the family Mopar a few years ago a beautiful piece as well and for all that to take place together uh, for your family, with everybody there to enjoy it, Luke, I can only imagine how good that felt and stephen was was super excited about it
2: yeah it's it's funny i don't I think we tend to to take it for granted, especially those of us as racers that have kind of that have lived at the same place and been able to race at the same facility for basically all of our our racing careers right I think we take I think it's very easy to take for granted. How big a role a place, like a facility, a single racetrack, can play not only in our in our uh, you know racing career, if you will, but in our lives. I mean, I, I think of Texas Raceway like that, and obviously it's it's shut down these days. And, and I didn't live my whole life there, but for somebody like steven like I think it's fair to say, and I think he would say that Houston Raceway Park has played a pretty important role in. Him becoming like who he is, right? And that all comes full circle and comes to fruition when you're at the the last bracket race there. And then to close the facility the same way that your father opened the facility in the same race car, it's just one of those things that you're never going to forget. Like, really, really cool story.
1: Yeah. Storybook does not even get close to defining that story. And, and Luke, just to To put icing on the cake, Uh, Stephen's son Douglas got the win in juniors the same day. So he wins the last junior race there. And the win that Stephen got put him in the eight car shootout that will be held at the Houston National Event to run off for the final track championship for Houston Raceway Park uh, in its history. And Stephen had to win that day. To qualify for that eight car shootout so it's just and we're not talking about some 17 car field where nobody showed up this was the final race it was good weather is a talented that's an area full of talent a lot of great racers and it had a really good crowd and they were battling some tough competitors and steven even said douglas won his race uh maybe three rounds or so prior to steven's final round so you know he knows his father won the first race he's in with three rounds or so left to go his son just wins the junior race to close the facility and you know that had to be some added pressure for those last few rounds and he responds and gets it done former million dollar winner talented guy um has has won plenty in the sport of racing But I would say regardless of anything he's ever won or ever will win again, that day will stand out as his favorite at the racetrack in his entire racing career. So congratulations, Stephen, Douglas, and the the Hughes family for getting to put something down in the history books that is just truly incredible and, and a remarkable, remarkable story.
2: No question. Um, So as we turn the page from last weekend to to this coming up week, as you listen to this, uh, a couple of big events will will be underway. Obviously, we've got the NHRA Gator Nationals uh, on tap this weekend. Um, And then on the big dollar bracket scene, correct me if I'm wrong, Jed. early here in the season, perhaps the two biggest events actually happen out here where I'm at on the West Coast. I'm at the... uh, the K and N Southwestern showdown or Southwest showdown here at Tucson dragway for uh, four ten granders and a $50,000 gambler's race this weekend. Chris Forsyth puts it on. Uh, the vibe here is awesome. I think it's going to be a great event. And then we're about a month away from the spring fling million in Las Vegas. I know that there's going to be some events sprinkled in, in other parts of the country in between there. Uh, but it's, it's interesting and and unique that like we never would have said 10 years ago that, okay, the the two, bracket races that we're looking forward to take place not just west of the mississippi but near the west coast
1: yeah it's uh pretty rare that we will get to to make that claim or preview the the biggest races in the country and they're they're in that part of the country but um just a testament to what chris Forsyth and his team has been able to accomplish and uh what started several several years ago just continues to get better out in that part of the country. And we know how COVID just really impacted the racing scene out there. But those guys stayed the course and was able to obviously get back to action when it when it was allowed. And this uh this Southwest showdown is going to be another great event. The KN Southwest Showdown is uh is proving to be one of the better races in the country, regardless of where it's held. But, um, that's again, Chris Forsyth and the team that he's assembled is doing a wonderful job and Luke, uh, I'm sure. It'd be fun to compete in it. I, I wish I was out there with you.
2: No, like I said, the vibe here is really, really like, I, I think it's going to be a very fun weekend and there's a ton of racing. we'll talk about it, um, I guess on next week's show, or maybe we don't record next week. We'll talk about it soon. Um, but a lot going on here, it's, it's four tens off the top, it's three fives off the bottom, uh, that $50,000 gambler's race, plus something that I'm a huge advocate for personally. And that's also like a drum that I've been banging for several years. Um, in this event, Chris has incorporated uh, a junior dragster, uh, race. Obviously I'm excited. My son gets to race, but I, I think it's really beneficial and, and important for our sport that there is some integration between those two just, and and I can attest to this more so now as a junior dragster father, personally, it's awesome because it's rare that we get to all race together. Like we typically either go to a junior dragster race or we go to a big car race, right? There, there, there's, there's not many big car races that we want to attend that incorporate junior dragsters. And there's not many junior dragster races that incorporate big car races, right? So it's nice to all be able to compete at the same facility. And then that's on a personal level. Like if we broaden that scope a little bit, as we've talked about before, Jed, like the graduation rate to from junior dragster racing to our type of, of sportsman racing, I don't think is quite what it, what it could be or or, or perhaps should be. And I think a big reason for that is that depending on geography, the junior racers are not really introduced to our form of competition, specifically big dollar bracket racing, and don't get to meet the movers and shakers of it. Don't get to feel the electricity and the atmosphere that comes along with the big purses and the the togetherness of that crowd and group and just the fun of that type of racing. So an opportunity to, to intermingle those, I think is a really positive thing for everyone. So I'm looking forward to that this weekend as well.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it, Luke. It is great to see those guys get, uh, those those young racers get their opportunity at some of these premier events and and compete with uh, the, the big cars and same facility and same vibe and same awareness. You know, if it's getting streamed, they get to be a part of the live streams and all those things are really good for them and their future in the sport. But in particular, my man, Gary. You know, he's really smart. I've spent some time with Gary, as you know. We vacationed together. I don't know if you know that, but Gary and I, we've hung out (laughs) quite a bit. And that kid's smarter than he should be. Like, he's really, really intelligent. And even at his intelligence level for his age, I'm not sure he fully understands how much he's pegging the cool meter with getting to compete in his junior dragster across the country. Not many kids get these kind of opportunities and he's getting one. So somewhere along the line, I know you guys are going to take plenty of pictures and, 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 you know, make it, make some memories there, but somewhere along the line, he's going to be able to look back on this and go, wow, now that's pretty darn cool that, that I got to compete it. Uh, so Gary's what eight.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So he, he got to compete at eight years old, all the way across country in this event. So, really good stuff for him. I'm excited for my main man Gary Bear, and uh, certainly uh, hope that it, uh, it works out all for, or work, works out well for all of you guys, and, and uh, a bogaki or two collects the final win light.
2: I hope you're right. I hope he, I uh, hope he does look back someday and reflect on this and realize it is it is pretty unique and pretty cool. Interesting side note too, in addition to uh to Gary, in Gary's class, uh the Southwest Showdown will also provide the debut appearance for one Cash Pennington. That's right. Oh. Cash, son of Michael hey. and Cassie Pennington, uh I believe they did a little bit of testing last week with Cash's new junior dragster. He will make his competition debut here in Tucson. So I, for one, I'm looking forward to that. Not near as much as Gary is looking forward to that. He's very fired up that uh, the and Cash will be racing together. He's he's uh, excited about the opportunity to uh, to mentor. I think he might be surprised given the uh, the pedigree that Cash comes from. I don't know that Gary will have much to offer him, but he's excited <laughs> for that opportunity.
1: <laughs> I'm sure he will have plenty to offer him, and uh, hopefully, Cash pays close attention. And those uh, young men perform extremely well. I know the that uh, it's an exciting time for you and Jess and certainly the Pennington family. Uh, The, the good Pennington's not, not my side, but uh, it's going to be fun to fun to see how it all plays out for sure.
2: Looking forward to it. All right, Jed, I think that's all I got. You got anything else we close up the show? Is that it?
1: Luke, I think that's about it. Um, we, uh, we had good discussions and uh, we talked some, uh, again, more sportsman racing on the NHRA side and some bracket racing. So it's what the show is all about. And we appreciate the listeners tuning in and listening to us. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we we missed a thing or two that you might have wanted to hear more about. Or we talked more about something that you wanted to hear less about. But either way, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you're thinking, what you liked, what you didn't like. Whatever you is on your mind you want to share with us. Please reach out to us on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Again, you can send it through private message, and producer Mark will scoop it up. Or you can uh, put it right out there in public for everyone to see. And um, either way, we'd just love to hear from you and let you know, let us know that you're listening, and let us know what uh, what you think about the show and the content that we got going on. So, uh, Luke, uh, I'm sure there's a, a great list of shouts coming
2: from this episode.
1: So let's hear them
2: here's a list of shouts um i'm having a hard time reading them so full disclosure a shout to the the 12 volt system on my motorhome the light oh. has gotten so dim in here that i can't completely read what i wrote that's a different story for a different day you we've logged about that too you can uh you can check that out on the, <laughs>
1: just, the Mosier- you're, engineering you're on day. camera obviously you know that so i just switched over to look and you are you're sitting in the dark bro i mean you yeah are. <laughs>
0: yeah i'm struggling a little bit on
2: the 12 volt power source my 110 is good fine I, I can run air conditioners i just don't have a 110 light in the room that i'm in currently in my motorhome and it's getting a little dark in here so i'm using the the, the computer screen here i'm gonna go ahead and, and shout out <laughs> <laughs> you can see me so you're laughing at me i'm, loving I'm gonna this. shout out no slip brad no slip brad clark brad's everywhere too i'm gonna also shout out bad b brad that's brad burton pretty much undefeated yeah. in uh, in
0: 2022.
2: I'm going to shout out and I'm not even going to try to say it. Jed, what was the event that just happened in Gainesville? It was the baby... Gators. Yeah, shouts to that. Shouts to Most Worstest. I think you boasted that out at some yes. point. You had mentioned uh, Papa Hancock, so shouts to Big Cock. Love that guy. Love that nickname. <laughs> and the Hughes family, of course, would, uh, we, we would... We would be remiss if we didn't give a shout to haywood if you know you know <laughs>
1: Man, this is oh a God. perfect episode for manscaped. i mean my goodness uh <laughs> <laughs> the hancock family and uh, and haywood uh former million dollar winner and if you're not manscaping you are backing up my friend ain't no doubt about it luke that's great stuff thank you for that list of shouts in the dark and i know, I know it was a challenge but you got through it as always And uh, folks, we're also active on Twitter. If you do the tweet thing and you'd like to reach out to us there, please do so. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. And by the way, Luke's a great follow on Twitter. Whether you like to tweet or not, um, that's, that's one thing. But if you just like to get on there and see what's being said, follow luke he's a great follower he's pretty active on there he, he's got uh, some inspirational thoughts and things that he posts from time to time and certainly he's uh, he's tracking his racing activities on there as well so check him out again luke bogaki b-o-g-a-c-k-i i am at jp11x i am not an interesting follow i will tweet uh, back to someone from time to time and i will tweet Uh, morning jocks which is our local talk show here on sports talk radio in the mornings when i when i've got something to tell them that's pretty much all i say on twitter so if you want to see any of that follow me i'm at jp11x what a great follow thank you for listening we appreciate it very much and we look forward to talking to you again real soon about more sportsman drag
0: racing